Hey, everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This is part two of our soft markers of aneuploidy session. In this episode, we're going to cover the intracardiac echogenic focus, the isolated humerus length and femur length, fetal pileectasis, and single umbilical artery. All right, let's get right to it. Let's cover the intracardiac echogenic focus, or the IEF. IEF is defined as an echogenic small spot inside the heart having brightness equivalent to that of bone. Regarding the location, 88% are found in the left ventricle and 5% in the right ventricle. They are found in about 3-4% of normal fetuses and about 25% of fetuses with trisomy 21. Isolated intracardiac echogenic focus are associated with an increased risk of Down syndrome with likelihood ratios generally ranging from about 1.5 to 5. In about 90% of cases, they resolve by the third trimester of pregnancy. In low-risk populations for aneuploidy, the presence of an IEF is not an indication for invasive procedures, and with negative first-trimester screen or non-invasive prenatal tests, it may be described as not clinically significant or as a normal variant. In cases of isolated IEF in euploid fetuses, there is no evidence of an altered cardiac function and a detailed echocardiogram is actually not recommended as long as the second trimester scan is normal. However, a few studies have suggested that diffuse echogenicity in the fetal heart, especially when the right ventricle is also involved, may signal a poor prognosis and deserves a further search for associated pathologies. Postnatal cardiac function after the presence of prenatally diagnosed isolated echogenic focus are not associated with myocardial dysfunction during childhood. Moving on to the shortened humerus length and femur length. Shortened humerus and femur are defined as bone length below the 5th percentile for gestational age. Shortened humerus length and femur length have been observed in 0.4 to 4% of normal fetuses. Fetal long bones that are short have been associated with aneuploidy, skeletal dysplasia, fetal structural abnormalities, even preeclampsia, and there has been an association with stillbirth and fetal growth restriction. Trisomy 21, 18, 13, or an unbalanced autosomal structural abnormality have been associated with a relatively short femur length. In the study published by Kajimura et al., isolated short humerus length and femur length in the second trimester demonstrated higher rates of preterm delivery and preeclampsia. The possible etiology is not yet fully understood, but it may be of placental origin. Other studies have also reported that isolated short femur length have been associated with a significantly higher relative risk of small for gestational age infants and early preterm birth. Short humerus length and femur length may be an early sign of placental dysfunction and it warrants increased antenatal surveillance with repeat ultrasound for growth assessment with frequent blood pressure measurements. Again, having a shortened humerus and femur length in some studies have been associated with preterm birth and preeclampsia. So remember that these soft markers don't just carry genetic or aneuploidy risks, but they also have poor obstetrical outcomes based on which soft marker we're talking about.
fetal pileactasis is our next topic. Fetal pileactasis is defined as an AP measurement in the transverse scanning plane of the kidney of 4 millimeters or larger in the second trimester or 7 millimeters or larger in the third trimester. Whereas pelvic anterior pelvic diameters of 10 millimeter or larger is criteria for fetal hydronephrosis. The prevalence of pileactasis varies from 0.1 to 3% in low risk pregnancies. While most commonly fetal pileactasis is a transient physiological state, it can be a marker for aneuploidy and can be a precursor of potential urinary tract pathology. The majority of cases of pileactasis detected in the second trimester will resolve either before delivery or within the first year of postnatal life. Isolated mild pileactasis in low-risk populations is not the evidence of increased risk of aneuploidy and therefore it cannot be considered as an indication for the determination of a karyotype. In other words, amniocentesis probably isn't necessary for the case of mild isolated pileactasis. A prenatal progression of dilation of pileactasis can, however, lead to a worse prognosis. So, follow-up ultrasound at 32 weeks of gestation to rule out persistent pileactasis should be performed according to SMFM. A follow-up ultrasound at 32 weeks of gestation to rule out persistent or worsening pileactasis should be performed according to SMFM. Now, the data show that about half of the cases will be normal at that time. 30% will continue to have mild pileactasis, while 15% or so will have more significant hydronephrosis. If the renal pelvis measures greater than 7 millimeters at 30 weeks examination, then postnatal follow-up is recommended. Well, what about the single umbilical artery? Well, single umbilical artery is characterized by absence of one of the umbilical arteries, and it occurs in 0.5 to 8% of pregnancies. Single umbilical artery appears to be an isolated finding in 60 to 80% of cases. Controversy exists regarding the association between aneuploidy, small for gestational age infants, preterm birth, with the isolated single umbilical artery. Some studies have shown a higher risk of SGA, preterm birth, and even pregnancy-induced hypertension, and even admission to the neonatal intensive care unit, but others have not. Isolated single umbilical artery has been associated with a higher rate of cesarean section due to non-reassuring fetal heart rate tracings. Also, these cases tend to have a higher rate of placental or umbilical cord abnormalities. All right, now here's a clinical pearl, and this is why people find clinical studies to be confusing. We just mentioned that the single umbilical artery has been linked to some perinatal morbid conditions. However, a meta-analysis by Voskamp et al. actually showed no statistically significant difference in aneuploidy rate, birth weight, or the incidence of fetal growth restriction between the isolated single umbilical artery and three-vessel cord fetuses. They concluded that targeted growth assessment should not be done routinely. Nonetheless, it is considered best practice and just conservative care at this time that in cases of single umbilical artery to at least follow fetal growth to make sure that IUGR is not present. Why? Because it's a low-risk intervention and finding IUGR may alter management.
Well, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the soft markers of aneuploidy. Again, thanks for being part of our listener family. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.